Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men on an end man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Oh, damn it! I said Pirates of the Caribbean Minute instead of the Black Pearl Show. Yes! Just rolled right off the tongue. It's the daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. And as usual, as gibbeted gluttons for punishment, we break out the rum and explore not just the films, but the expanded universe and all things pirates and additional scurvy-ridden episodes here and there. It's the first and longest-running Pirates of the Caribbean fan cast, which broadcasts five and sometimes six freaking bloody days a week. I'm Scott Artis from ScottArtis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from BlackPearlMinute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 4. Minute Quattro. You're welcome. It's Spanish again. Quattro Minuto of Dead Man's Chest. I was reading a Forbes article that posed a Pirates of the Caribbean 6 without the heavy guns of Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow. Well, that's a bit dangerous. Danger is... Your middle name? Uh, no, it's not actually part of my name. So that's... Yeah, so Danger is not part of my name. The it's author, Banjos, though. It is. But it doesn't make sense for you to tell people that because that's just an inside joke. So then it goes over their head and, and then people go, why are they saying inside jokes and things on the air? How do you feel about Isn't yourself now? Isn't that what now? we normally do? No. The author even said, first and foremost, they need to get back to the roots of the series. While Captain Jack Sparrow was the breakout character in the first Pirates of the Caribbean film, he was not the outright lead. They said, or the author said... He was the Han Solo to Will Turner's Luke Skywalker and Elizabeth Swan's Princess Leia. What? Yeah. Can you believe that? No. Captain Jack Sparrow was the Han Solo in the Pirates of the Caribbean Curse of the Black Pearl. Really? Is that how you took it? No. If Walt Disney wants to make a sixth Pirates of the Caribbean movie, just craft another adventure that puts Kira Knightley's Elizabeth Swan in a starring role. She is only 32 years old, as of this recording. Which is just two years older than Orlando Bloom was when he made At World's End. And eight years younger than Johnny Depp when he first played Sparrow in Curse of the Black Pearl. With all the action in Hollywood in terms of gender swapping old properties that are going on now, especially. Not just in Hollywood, even comic books. Marvel, I got my finger pointed at you. This one would be kind of this pretty easy situation to do. Since you already have an established property, a marquee supporting character in Depp's Sparrow and an established female lead in Knightley Swan, who could easily take center stage in even more dramatic form. Heck, if you really want to spice things up and have your cake and eat it too, and that's me talking for the author of this piece, not my personal ideas yet, you can make Jack Sparrow the villain this time out. No, not like he's being blackmailed into betraying his family or something like that. and Or he's been brainwashed to believe that he needs to destroy our world to save his. I mean, he's the actual antagonist who actually embraces his villainy after all these years. 
that A, throws a major twist into the franchise and B, offers a reasonable way to keep Sparrow in the picture without, again, making him the goofball screw up. And if you want to close the book on the franchise, or at least this particular arc with Johnny Depp, I mean, Captain Jack Sparrow, you could actually have Sparrow killed off. Blasphemy. Then that'll make the movie one hell of an event. But the author argues that with Kira Knightley and Bloom back in the driver's seat and a somewhat cheaper production budget, there's some value in testing the waters in a debt-free installment of the film. What do you think? Do you think Disney would get back to the Elizabeth roots, or are they going to just continue down the road with the Henry Turner and Karina Smith production, the next generation thing that they've been doing, or they started to do with Dead Men Tell No Tales? You're asking what I think they would do? Yeah. Who else? (laughs) Talking to the wall? Well, I assume they'll probably just continue on with Henry and Yeah, but what do you think? Should they? Well, you asked what do I think they would do. You didn't say what do I think they should do. Both, then. I wish I had a whammy button right now. I think they should go back to their roots. So you're on the go back to the roots train and leave the two newbies aside? Yeah. I mean, they tried to... Well, you can continue on with them using the others to kind of transition better. But I still think you need to go back to Will and Elizabeth. Well, here's the deal. I mean, they're even setting this up with a book that we recently got just to get the story on and we can report on is this story of Karina Smith. They did invest in two new characters, but with the dead men not living up to the 900 to $1 billion that they were really hoping for, would they shuffle things up from this planned expanded universe that they were trying to create with Pirates of the Caribbean or an expansion of the expanded universe they've already done? I mean, maybe this is a discussion for like one of our bonus episodes and not for Dead Man's Chest breakdown here. But I thought it was interesting because I was reading that and just wondering... What would happen if this author is correct and they try to write the money ship that's going on here? Try to bring it back to those billion dollar roots that they had with some of the earlier movies. Particularly like the one that we're in now, Dead Man's Chest, which was like cross the billion dollar mark. That's what I'm wondering. So that's all I was doing. I just read the article and was just curious if you thought that a movie without Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow is possible, or even if they go down the road that this author is suggesting to maybe make him the antagonist or to kill him off, if that's going to be the next chapter, or would that be a worthy chapter? Would that be something that would basically draw in the crowds if they said this is going to be Captain Sparrow's last stand and kind of leave you wondering, is he going to die? And he actually dies in the movie. And then they can continue on with the Will and Elizabeth story which can transition into Henry and Karina story if they still want to do that. Because are they going to continue to go down that Henry-Karina road given that Dead Men Tell No Tales didn't necessarily live up to their expectations for their pocketbook? Well, they probably will because that's the road they're going. But I think a movie with... I think Pirates... Yeah, but it's not too late to turn that around just because they've already maybe planned that. Look at the... DC Cinematic Universe. They've had a number of fails at the box office, that things that haven't lived up to, like Batman versus Superman in the latest Justice League. They're completely revamping and questioning, are we still going to have some of this planned universe that we were doing? Are we just going to go down the Wonder Woman train because that's a one that makes his money and Batman historically makes money? Yeah, I think... I'm not sure, but I think Pirates is Captain Jack Sparrow. Captain Jack Sparrow is Pirates of the Caribbean. If you get rid of him, I don't think your your 
movies are actually going to be as profitable or as popular because that's that's what they are. But are they making is it too much now for the audience that he's like this author is saying too much of that goofball? Has he become too much of the goofball character? Does he need to get back to the non-drinking or non non-rum drinking Jack Sparrow who's not aloof all the time or not doing some of the crazy stuff? Maybe they just need a better script. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe yeah. they tone it down. Maybe they give him a little bit more grind and move forward that direction. Say tone down some of the big humor laughs that they are shooting for with Captain Jack Sparrow. Yeah. But make it more of now a traditional pirate flick that has some supernatural elements. Calm the supernatural elements down a bit. Don't make them so over the top. Bring it back to to that kind of level. Don't make the gags over the top. For instance, in Dead Men Tell No Tales, don't have the the bank going down the street. Yeah. Don't have a big map with you know all of these kind of stars. I mean, maybe this is really something we should talk about in a bonus episode on the future of this franchise. Because I think that we're already going to just go down a rabbit hole and talk about this whole thing when we're here to talk about Dead Man's Chest. So what do you think? Yep. It's probably maybe this idea. is something we could even chat about in the Cursed Listeners Crew Facebook group. We can start to, to talk about some of this stuff. But I think that there's a lot of stuff we can talk about in the direction of this. If they actually make a six. I mean, there's still like a placeholder for it on IMDb. It did make money. It was almost at $800 million worldwide. Is that going to be enough to propel it forward? I mean, they have Disney has money in the bank. It's not like they can say, hey, let's see what happens if we give one more go around. Is this going to come back? But maybe they need to shake it up a bit. So, okay, let's leave that alone. Talk about it later, but let's get on to Dead Man's Chest. What do you say? Well, I have one more comment. Okay. You asked. The, uh, I think if you kill off Johnny Depp, that's the end of Pirates of the Caribbean. Or not Johnny Depp, but Jack Sparrow. That's the end of Pirates of the Caribbean. Possibly. I was on that. Other than that, you, I mean, then you have to go completely name different and everything. I was You're on that train on as we talked about last season. But after seeing the performance with Dead Men Tell No Tales, I'm now questioning that. And I'm now starting to think outside the box. So I don't know yet. And I'm not saying either way. But I'm starting to try and read the tea leaves of what they could potentially do. Or maybe they make the next one the last one, right? Maybe yeah. they make a sixth one and it's the last one and they kill him off. And then they can reboot the series with the younger generation. They have to do something to try and revive it if they want to get to that billion dollar mark again. But I think what comes down to it is maybe what Dead Men Tell No Tales did, is it showed that just having Captain Jack Sparrow in the movie is not going to drive a billion-dollar number. What you have to do is you have to have a great story oh, yeah. and that people get invested in. That's what's going to do it. Just having a Pirates of the Caribbean movie isn't going to cut it. It has to have a good story with it. Right. Because now people are going to feel like maybe they've been burned a little if that's the camp that they're in. And they're just wondering, well, have I seen this? Is this just going to be the same old thing? Or do they really play up the Barbosa angle? Barbosa disappeared and died. What about Will Turner? Maybe they bring back some of that original cast. Kind of get away from some of that other stuff. And get, like I said, back to the roots of things. Maybe make it a little bit more dark and sinister. Like Dead Man's Chest is turning out to be. Already. Only a minute four. So yeah, let's just get on to minute four then. In the previous minute... 
If any of you have reasons why these two should not be married, speak now or forever hold your... Cutler Beckett. Lord Cutler Beckett. How dare you? Besides bringing with him a storm-crushing wedding and a winning personality, Lord Beckett slaps Will Turner in irons, not the type of handcuffed situation Will was expecting on his wedding night. I mean day. During the arresting commotion, Will manages to compliment Elizabeth, always a good move, and proceeds to settle in for a Lord versus Governor cage match. Minute four begins with Cutler calling out, Mr. Mercer, the warrant for the arrest of one William Turner. Governor Swan sighs, takes the warrant, gives a look towards Will, and in one fluid motion, Elizabeth also turns towards Will in shock. The minute ends with Governor Swan saying, The charge is conspiring to set free a man convicted of crimes against the crown and emperor, and condemned to death, for which the... Beckett jumps in when Governor freezes saying, For which the punishment, regrettably, is also... Dot, dot, dot. Bom, bom, bom. Hey, it's our first dot, dot, dot. Minute four. That calls for some celebration, probably. Minute four and dot, dot, dot action. There you go. I know you like the dot, dot, dot action. Lord Cutler Beckett. What I have in my notes right there. That's what you got? Yeah, because I have some stuff on the Lord himself. And actually, that would be an understatement to say I have some stuff on it. The character alone could probably take up a week's worth discussion and maybe even more. That's how much stuff I have on this guy. Wow. Yeah, that stodgy little Cutler Beckett. (laughs) I'm calling him. So since we have plenty of time to discuss him, I thought I would maybe just do kind of an overview-ish kind of thing right now. Maybe that would be more appropriate. And then his connection to Jack Sparrow in the expanded universe, at least. Then we can dive into more later on or whenever it pops up later on. Because we do have, you know, what, 146 more episodes to go? 143? 146? 145? See, I've already lost count. So we have plenty of time we can bring some of that stuff up. But Cutler Beckett was the governor of the East India Trading Company. Born and raised in a prosperous merchant family in England, Beckett joined the East India Company after a fight with his father. For many years, he faithfully served the company, eventually becoming the director of West African imports and exports of the company. Is he an importer or an exporter? Both. Imports and exports. Well, I mean, that's now, what You're that's talking what about vague, <laughs> vague Seinfeld references. That's what Vandalay Industry does. You can't even speak over there. Oh. Vague Seinfeld references. Vandalay Industries. Yeah. This podcast brought to you by Vandalay Industries. <laughs> They're in the import and export business. From his post in Calabar, he organized a search for the mythical island of Kerma, hoping to find its legendary treasure. It's weird. All these pirates are always looking for treasure. All He's these sailors. He's not a pirate, though. I said sailors. He's pirates pirate. and sailors. Pirate. Reminds me, we did get called out by a listener because we shortened uh, Ghost Pirates in one of our teaser reviews and our reviews for Captain Salazar. Call him Ghost Pirate instead of Ghost Pirate Hunter. But then I did make the uh, the incredible leap that a pirate is defined as, you know, basically somebody who uh, attacks and ships and things like that. So he is technically, in a way, a pirate. But yeah, did get called out for that. So I'm glad that you called me out also. You're supposed to be You're on welcome. my team and you've already called me out. I think you called me out quite a bit. How dare you? However, if we can get back to Kerma, the quest for Kerma didn't succeed because he was betrayed by none other than freaking Captain Jack Sparrow. The man he trusted enough to place him in charge of his own ship. The merchantman, Wicked Winch. Connected. All these things are connected in the expanded universe. Not only Sparrow... Didn't bring him the bearings of Kerma, but he also liberated a cargo of slaves which Beckett's patron, Lord Penwallow, needed for his plantation in the Bahamas. 
This comes into some discussions we've had on our Cursed Listeners crew and in Wedlocked when we were discussing that about slaves. Actually, I saved a lot of that discussion to spark some thoughts in our Cursed Listeners crew group. So you can always check that out. Okay. Since Sparrow's act ruined his chance to join the British nobility, Beckett ordered his men to burn the winch and personally branded Sparrow as a pirate. Therefore, his P is the mark of the beast on his wrist. On his wrist. Though his quest for a title was delayed, Beckett nonetheless continued to work for the company. More than a decade after the burning of the Wicked Wench, Beckett was granted the title of Lord, eventually becoming the company's governor. As a duly appointed representative of King George II, which is good because we saw that Tom Hollander, who plays Beckett, played King George III, as we talked about the other day. So this guy's all he, over he the place. He changes from Hello, Father, Beckett Hello, to... Father, Son, Son, whatever. He led the company's expansion in the Caribbean. Did I just say Caribbean? How dare I? It's Caribbean. If it's been established that it's Caribbean by the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Taking control over Port Royal with the blessing of the crown, turning it into a base of operations. And here we are. Cutler just shows up at Port Royal. Cutler Beckett does have a special theme also made for him by composer Hans Zimmer. It was part of the unreleased soundtracks of Pirates of the Caribbean. Soundtrack Treasures Collection. He has his own theme song. Wow. Yeah, that kind of puts him right up there on par with uh, Captain Jack Sparrow. And I also have my own theme and song. And the Aztec Curse. And the Aztec Curse. Yeah, you, but... You have your own theme yeah. song? Yeah. na 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 It's dueling banjos. It's a little weird, but yeah, that's my theme song. It's weird. It is weird. I just said that. I thought it was Baby Got Back. <laughs> ah! I think so. <laughs> I like big butts and I cannot lie. Oh, I gotta put a pirate yelling for that one. (laughs) That's my theme song, Baby Got Back. Oh, man. man. And I haven't heard anything because we don't talk about the toys. I know that the Star Wars guys, hey, shout out to Pete and Alex. They always say that the listeners hate when they talk about the toys. But yeah, I'm going to talk about the toys. But it's only for like a microsecond. In 2008, Zizzle released an action figure of Cutler Beckett for their Pirates of the Caribbean toy line. Beckett's action figure was packaged with a sword. Hmm. A real sword? A euphemism there, or a sword. (laughs) A pistol and a hat. The toy, however, saw a limited release and became highly sought after. It's now almost impossible to get, making Beckett the rarest Pirates of the Caribbean action figure. Really? Yeah. Wow. That stodgy, stodgy little guy? He's now the most sought-after Pirates of the Caribbean action figure. Wow. Exactly. Well, there you go. That's all about the toys? That's all about the toys. That brings us to Mercer. Ian Mercer. It's like James Bond. Bond. James Bond. Portrayed by David Schofield, who has one prolific acting career from what I've seen. Schofield's resume stretches to over 120 credits, including the films Wolfman, Valkyrie, which I believe also includes Tom Hollander. So I think that they work together on that. In Valkyrie? Yeah. not In Valkyrie? Do you know what movie that is? Valkyrie? Yeah. Valkyrie. That it's Nazi. A movie. War, there you go. I almost want to do some John Philip Sousa right there or, or whatever that is. <laughs> I don't know if that's John Philip Sousa. Maybe. And he was also in From Hell, which also featured Johnny Depp. So they've worked together before. He was in Gladiator. And my favorite... The Last of the Mohicans, he was in there too. And he was also in the cult classic in American Werewolf in London. Guy's been acting for a yeah. while. 
As far as Mercer, Mercer served as the personal assistant of the company's governor, Lord Cutler Beckett. Despite serving faithfully in his official capacity as a clerk, Mercer also carried out some of Beckett's more sinister agendas as an assassin and a spy. Wow. Exactly. So it was Did he act pirate? Did he act pirate? Yeah, was he acting pirate as a spy? That I don't know. That's a good question. That will have to be saved for our bonus episodes where we talk about the expanded universe and talk some Mercer action. So, I mean, there's really quite a bit of intertwined backstory with Mercer and Beckett. And I think, like I just said, I'm going to let some of that stuff just kind of simmer. And then we can tackle that stuff another day or as the movies go on or we hit season three at World's End or just in some of the bonus episodes. Because what I really want to do is leave all that future of the franchise discussion aside, backstories aside of some of our characters, even though they're in this minute. But I think it's like, let's examine the damn bloody minute, for God's sakes. Let's just do it. Sweet little old Beckett. Divulges that he not only has a warrant for Will, but Elizabeth and Commodore Norrington. And Governor Swan drops a bomb that Norrington resigned his commission. He can conspicuously absent Commodore Norrington from this situation, and now we find out why he is absent here. Because he resigned. He resigned his commission. So Will gets the prize for the best retort, though, too. And I'm going to touch on the Norrington thing here in a second, but because of the way I have my bullet points in my list, I just want to go through it. Will gets PowerPoint presentation? A PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, welcome everybody to the seminar today. We're going to be discussing uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Minute and four. Unfortunately, we don't have any visuals, so it's just all going to be words, and I'm just going to read it straight <laughs> from my presentation. Will gets the best prize. Or best prize. Will gets the prize for the best retort. And that's what I'm talking about is that his, his following up Beckett's claim that, well, Beckett is just trying to say, hey, Governor Swan, you didn't answer my question. And then Will jumps in with, in the category of questions not answered, now that's a burn. Yes. <laughs> if I've ever seen a burn, that's a burn. Will has always been good with the tongue. Tongue in a, a speech, a quick turn of words. Sharp-tongued. There. There we go. That's the, more the proper term. <laughs> Luckily you corrected sh- that because I was, I was really, getting a little worried there. I was a little treading lightly because I knew that I had uh-huh. missed a word there. But it was a power play by Will and Elizabeth as we can try and leave that alone. As she proceeds to tell him that they are under the jurisdiction of King's Governor of Port Royal. But Beckett, the composed, as I like to now give everybody Braveheart names, Beckett the composed, not composed, composed, and dare I say smug, essentially says the punishment is, well, it's a dot, dot, dot moment. So we are left guessing about the punishment anyways. But the fact that he has to step in because the governor can't muster the words, that means the punishment is not good. You sure? By the way, congratulations on the nuptials, Elizabeth. <laughs> Just wanted to throw that in again. Before I get back to Norrington, though, because I did promise some Norrington action. Did right. you notice the lack of flair with Beckett and Mercer's hats? Why are these guys' hats so plain? They're just black. They are plain black. I know they're not that, pirates. I know that he's a spy and an assassin and the assistant and Cutler Beckett is the governor. But everyone has adorned hats in this scene. They all have color, some kind of rickrack or feathers or little medallions or something. These guys are just plain black. Maybe they're just plain boring people. That's possible. Nothing wrong with black though, but I'm just, it's just interesting. Because the hats are so simple for such complex characters. Then everybody else has these crazy hats and they don't. But even their outfits are just black. Yeah. They're dressed 
to the to the simple standards. Everybody else is dressed like they got it going on. Maybe because they're delivering bad news. <laughs> is that some kind of symbolism that oh wow, nice stumble on. So the idea that this was a wedding that they're attending, but it's actually they're treating it more like a funeral because they're breaking them up and there's going to be punishment involved. So they're coming to Will and Elizabeth's funeral, so to speak. Exactly. Everybody's the funeral there. That's a good point. It could be really symbolic of the, well, it's the whole apocalyptic wedding and the whole apocalypse is showing up. There you go. I dealt that right into your hand. No, you did. Thanks. Thanks for uh, setting that up. Yeah. That was like a softball thrown at me. And I connected and scored. But given Beckett obviously likes men in gold too. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's odd he prefers the plain black hat. That's just my only hang up. Besides the symbolism of it. He likes the flashiness. He doesn't seem like a fancy man. He likes the flashiness, but just not secure enough himself to pull it off. Exactly. Thus he makes his assistants do the color. He's not a fancy man. (laughs) He's not a fancy man. (laughs) That's actually a really good segue. He's not a fancy man. But if we do say fancy man, we do have to talk about Norrington. Because he is conspicuously absent from the big ceremony. Well, we, why why would he want to be at the wedding of his, the woman he wanted to marry? Because he likes ceremonies. That's, we know. Yeah, but he know was all depressed. He likes the ceremony. He was all depressed because she didn't want to marry him. And he actually gave her the will. Remember? So why That's, would he be at the wedding? Yes, I know that. But I thought maybe he would still... Because he liked ceremonies and he was at Port Royal, that he would actually stay there, potentially. That he would show that he was the bigger man, just to, to really dig at Will. No. Maybe he only likes ceremonies that are steeped in sweltering heat. You know, the kind of heat that collapses women? Or in his honor. Them all cliffs. Or in his honor, yeah. Or maybe the altar wasn't close enough to the edge of the cliff, and thus he wasn't able to like watch Elizabeth fall off. So he's like, well, why would I <laughs> want to go to this? There's not going to be a show. <laughs> Or three, he was just so bitter at losing to a blacksmith's apprentice that he really needed to save face and then he hit the road. I got to get the hell out of here. Makes sense. I got to find a place where they uh, don't know that I was lost out to a blacksmith's apprentice. And lost the ships and... That's true. (laughs) I mean, all kinds of stuff there. Yeah, he did do all kinds of stuff. Let Will go or let Jack go and... Yeah, Port Royal just wasn't big enough to hide his shame. Right. Or... I mean, and this is stuff that we questioned and then we kind of came to the conclusion at the end that he really did kind of love her to set her free. But the fact that he isn't here and he resigned his commission from what we're gathering with the current information, the limited information we have in up to this minute so far, is that he really did love her. In his way, even though he wasn't able to really show it and he came at things with a matter-of-fact approach, a logical approach, he, Spock. he really loved her. He is Spock. Kind of, without the cool uh, neck pin. That's why he gave her to Will. There you go. Because he loved her, but she didn't love him back. Yeah, but the question is, do you think Elizabeth invited him to the wedding? No. He wasn't in verbal. Oh, the the mail there. Exactly. (laughs) They don't have mail. They had to tell you verbally. If he wasn't around, she couldn't tell him. Poor Norrington. You know, Will almost gets Elizabeth... Damn you, Cutler Beckett. And Norrington has to sit back and play with his sword. The sword Will made for him. That's a double whammy. And not only that, he's actually missing out because he's missing out on the whole wedding is getting broken up. That's what's interesting. Although there's a potential problem there. But 
for right now, he's missing out on this potential breakup. You know, if he was there and he saw this, you he would be smirking a little bit, right? He'd have to. Not for Elizabeth, but for Will, right? Yeah, probably. He'd have to. And at least in his mind goes, now that's a bad luck. Now that's payback right there. I don't know. I think he kind of tried to stand up for him. Well, he would, but I'm saying on the inside. Okay, on the inside. Pretend he has a personality like me that is really back for the revenge. Now, would he be a little bit smiley on the inside? Of course. Okay, then. That's all I'm asking. Just throw me a bone. You threw me a softball earlier, yet you can't throw me a bone now. I have another kind of list going on. Oh, no. If we're going to kind of change things up a bit. And it's about a few observations regarding this general scene that I have. Okay. Firstly, the church. I'll just, well, let me get this out of the way. The church for the opening wedding scene that we're seeing here was constructed in Palos Verdes, which is on the coast of Southern California, south of Los Angeles. It's the same location where the original Port Royal set had been built for Curse of the Black Pearl. So that's where we're seeing things. This isn't happening in the Caribbean. So on top of Port Royal, they put a cross and made it a church. No, I don't. I don't think for three years they just let this faux fort stand up there. Are you sure? Well, I mean, if it was my property, I would let them do that. But it's, they probably weren't able to do that. They took it down. They rebuilt it. Wasn't it a, just an abandoned or was that somewhere else? I don't know what happened three years later. You're saying that things are dynamic. Things change in years as they from one movie to the next. How dare you? But this is, that was just a side note on the location. Because what I'm really wanting to get to is my first observation that it just sort of appears that there's some green screen background stuff happening here. Something about the clouds and the palms on the right side of the shot does not feel genuine to me. Just doesn't. Well, with the storm going on and all the rain and all this kind of stuff, there's some pictures, I'll say, of those, the right side of the screen where the palm trees, and they're not moving. I was trying to look, and I mean, the palm trees move a little bit, but I was really trying to look at the clouds, and for the amount of wind, I was expecting some cloud moving action, and I really wasn't seeing that. So, I don't know what, if it's a mixture of green screen, or matte, and work, and things like that. I I probably should have looked at it more, but it just doesn't feel right for that particular shot. I mean, they have to obviously make it look like it's in the Caribbean with a bunch of palm trees and the ocean right there and stuff like that. But it just doesn't feel normal. Even the chairs kind of looked more flat. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. There's a flat appearance to it. Yeah. After you get kind of right past the building there. So I'm not sure if it's that the effects are not necessarily holding up as much with this high definition TVs and things like we have today. Is Maybe. that the problem? Maybe. We have a we have that problem a lot. Yeah. Or are we just really scrutinizing it now and we're really looking at it? As you're rewatching a minute over and over again, you start to times. see that as opposed to it just happening and going out at the theater, you're watching it and you're just watching and you're focused on Governor Swan and Beckett and things right. like that. You're not really paying attention so much to the background. But when you actually start to look at it, you're like, God, that really looks flat looking. Yeah. So maybe it's just me or maybe it's an artifact of the camera work, but it does seem off. It does seem a bit flat. So that was a good point. Then, of course, there's some red coat soldier action, some Marine stuff here that I just have to bring up. Now, it's not, I'm going to preface this, it's not as good as our let's shoot the gun blind (laughs) with my eyes closed and just randomly squinting hard as can be and 
looking like you're uncomfortable holding that musket like we saw in Curse of the Black Pearl. But it is interesting, and this is a bit more slight. It's not as like overt as that was. But the soldier to the left and behind Governor Swan when he's reading the warrant. Yeah. That guy is a statue. Not a literal statue. No, no, not a literal statue. But man, if he doesn't move a muscle. I mean, okay, his eyelids closed for some blinking action. But that's that's it. Governor's emotional, reading the details of the warrant. The wedding guests are listening and with their concern and kind of poking their heads around. But this soldier doesn't even give a quick glance. He is stone man. Gore Verbinski gave him the direction to stare at a dot off camera and he obeys it like a beaten dog. (laughs) This guy will not move. He reminds me of the Royal Marines that are standing at the palace. Yeah. The Royal Palace Guards or whatever they're called. Yeah, that don't move. With the big fur hats. Those big giant hats, you know? You know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. The one that you're wearing in the studio today. Yeah. The one that you wear to work. You know, that one you really like. So... They don't move. And this guy is either he's training for that position. He's like, man, I've got my fingers crossed that maybe I can get a role as a palace guard in one of these (laughs) flicks. Or something else. Because not a single movement. I mean, they could have just placed a mannequin there and the job would have been the same. He's training to be a statue. I'm serious. And speaking of crazy still soldiers, the one on the right of Will Turner, the one who's holding Will's arm... He's also from the Mannequin School of Acting. This guy, in fact, he takes things a step further and decides to make a bold acting choice. It's good that he's making these choices for his character here. Hey, my character doesn't need to breathe. So this guy appears to be holding his breath during the entire sequence. Not a twitch. Except you do see him inhale. And he's really making sure to stand with this incredible posture. So he kind of straightens up when he inhales. But that's it. The soldier on Will's left looks around. He's reacting to things. But the guy on the right, I mean, he must really appreciate the statuesque character choice that he's making. Because he's really living to that role. Maybe these two soldiers are brothers. And that's how they learn to act. Their parents screwed him up. They said, no, that's not how acting goes. Acting is standing still and being quiet. That is a good maneuver when raising a child. You want to be actors? Well, this is what actors do. And so then they're having him stand there. Or, I mean, either that or he's thinking, if I stay perfectly still, I might just become a Pirates of the Caribbean action figure. (laughs) Because they'll be able to model him directly from that. He does not move. Either of those two guys, they are. You got to check it out. They're they're pretty stone-faced. Everybody else is kind of moving around. Even the one soldier. I mean, they're trying to, to look like hardened and on duty. But even the one guy is kind of moving his head around. He kind of looks and he's seeing some of the action. This other guy, I'm not going to move. And then the other guy's like, hey, I bet you I can not move longer than you cannot move. Maybe it's like it's they're having some competition. It's possible. While you're talking about soldiers, I wanted to mention the two that are trying to cuff Elizabeth. Okay. Yeah, I remember that. I didn't <laughs> mention anything about that. They are kind of struggling. They were having a really hard time to the point she's actually looking down like she could try to help them. I mean, seriously, they were having, they were making these faces like they were clenching their teeth trying to get this thing to work and it's not working. And she's looking down like, do you need help? You know, yeah. I don't think the cuffs were working for them. I don't think she liked them manhandling her. No, she didn't like that either. She's like, even as an actress in this role, I don't know, I like this. Yeah. Keep your <laughs> grubby hands off me. <laughs> 
I probably actually should have mentioned before that this film takes place a year after The Curse of the Black Pearl. That, so that should have been something you mentioned. You would have thought I would have mentioned that in, in minute one, one. maybe? Yeah, possibly minute one. And I just thought of it. Yeah. You know what? This is actually a year later. And how that we talked about Norrington, this actually gave Norrington a year to stew on it. So he's really got to be festered up. Yeah. We saw a number of ships anchored in Port Royal, and that's presumably that of the East India Company. You know, when everybody's coming ashore? Yeah. So what's interesting, were you going to say something there? No. You just made it sound like you were going to say something? Yeah. By 1803, at the height of its rule in India, the British East India Company... At the height of its rule in India, the British East India Company had a private army of about 260,000. And they were all in Port Royal. Not all in Port Royal. (laughs) (laughs) That's some overrunning. (laughs) But the army that they had was twice the size of the British army. Jeez. Yeah, exactly. The company eventually came to rule large areas of India with its private armies. No kidding. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Exercising military power and assuming administrative functions... The company rule in India effectively began in 1757 and lasted until 1858 when, following the Indian Rebellion of 1857, everybody remembers the Indian Rebellion of 1857 out there, right? Oh, I do. Thought so. So we'll just gloss over that. We don't really need to get into it since everybody knows. The Government of India Act of 1858, another one that probably is on the tip of everybody's tongue, led to the British Crown assuming direct control of the Indian subcontinent in the form of the new British Raj. Just thought I'd bring a little history tidbit to everybody. Then the military arm of the East India Company quickly developed to become a private corporate armed force and was used as an instrument of geopolitical power and expansion rather than its original purpose as a guard force and became the most powerful military force in the Indian subcontinent. Wow. Yeah, East India Company. That's crazy. Hence, I thought they were just importers and exporters. (laughs) Yeah, that's what they tell you. (laughs) And then they come and run over your country and take it over. Ah, the East India Company. Better hope you're not late on your payments or your credit card payments. (laughs) Send the actual army to your door. No, I swear. I was just going to make a payment. Oh, we'll send some soldiers right over. Then they send over a whole battalion. So that's all I have, actually. Wow. Yeah, a little bit of soldier action, statues, some uh, East India Company history for all the people who like some history out there. And then, of course, some uh, backstory expanded universe. I mean, it's been a potpourri show for sure. I and I haven't even asked if you have anything. I have a question for you. You going to just ask it, or are you going to just? I'm going to announce a question, yeah. like I like to do. Yeah, that's so <laughs> ridiculous. Just ask it. What do you think about Elizabeth interrupting Will to show her power and her position within the? I think that's exactly what Elizabeth character would, would do, do because she is such a she's a strong woman figure. And we already seen that she has kind of become a pirate amongst herself or actually into the world out there. That she has those chops. And plus, she's the governor's daughter. She's the one who's directly under that. And she is just like, I'm going to pipe up and tell you what is going on here. She doesn't hold back her tongue. We saw that. She yeah. takes charge in Curse of the Black Pearl. And she's already doing it again. Yeah. I'm surprised she didn't like... I mean, she quoted, which is interesting because it is a parallel to Curse of the Black Pearl. Although it's not a pirate, like, code of brethren kind of deal that she's asking parlay for or anything like that. Right. Which shows her knowledge on that. But she quotes kind of another, not really a guideline, but it's more of a matter of fact. Like, how dare you? Yeah. This is who we are and who we're, we're under the charge of. You have the nerve to come in here? She's really flexing her muscle there. 
And that's why I call him Lord Cutler Beckett, the composed. He doesn't flinch. He didn't flinch like we talked about last time with Governor Swan. And he's not flinching this time with her. He knows he's got the power. East India Company, 200,000 man army. He's like, what really runs this world is not the countries. It's the company. The company is running this world. And the company has the backing of the crown. In fact, we have a better army than them. What do you think Will thought about the interruption, though? I think he's used to it. He started taking power or taking control. And then all of a sudden she... Well, chop, chop, chop. That's what she did. Poor Will. Talks like this now. (laughs) That's what happened. He's used to it. He knows that she's going to just chime in. But I think what it actually does in in all seriousness... We can be serious for a moment. Get our serious voices on. It shows how well they work together. Because it is almost that they... Or she is finishing his kind of sentence in a way. So they're one mind. Yeah, they really do work together well. They're partners. And he starts off. But in he, crime. You know, and he's just like, obviously. can you just let me be the man for once? Do you always have to one-up me? <laughs> you know, I try to save you. You end up saving me. All this kind of stuff. You know, he's just like, can I also be a pirate at one point? Or do I have to be the pirate's assistant? He's always the assistant. He's the apprentice. He's a pirate apprentice. And Elizabeth is his master. Just like any marriage out there. The the real taskmaster is the woman. And she's got him down right where she wants him. That's probably why he was in the blacksmith (laughs) shop. She's like, you'll stay in that blacksmith shop until the wedding is ready. Because you're not supposed to see the bride until then. And he kind of cowered down and went in there. Until he was drug out. Well, he's like, you know... Is she having me drug out again? Maybe that's what she normally does. I knew she was going to send people to get me for the wedding, but I didn't think that she they thought I was a shackles. flight risk. Yeah, I wasn't really a flight risk, honey. Swear. She's like, no, you're going to be chained up to get over here. Until this thing is done, you're not leaving my sight or my army's sight, and you're going to be in shackles. It's a happy marriage starting yes. out. It's always good when you can put the shackles on somebody, like I said, and uh, trap them into marriage. I know. I did it. Yeah, you did. So that's all I got. Being trapped in a marriage. I mean, that's all we got for the show is Will being trapped in a marriage and then all that other potpourri stuff. So that's what I got. You got anything else? Nope, that's it for me. Okay, let's call it a day. We'll be back tomorrow with minute five. Yeah, minute five already. Wow. Yeah, it's close to coming down on our completion of our first week. Hope we don't... We gotta uh, celebrate after that. Well, if we get to the fifth minute. Don't speak too soon. Yeah, let's not promise anything. So we will be back tomorrow, most likely, with Minute 5 of Dead Man's Chest. Until then, you scallywags, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum out there. And we'll just leave it at that. Okay. You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed... Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and Season 2 is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, soundcloud.com slash pirates of the caribbean 
that's for best of clips, and by all means give us a plug and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, mateys. Oh, and let's not forget the Facebook Cursed Crew listeners group for post-episode discussions. That's actually a lot to remember, especially if you're in a foggy haze like Heather. Just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button. Perhaps I should have just said that from the beginning. This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bilge rats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.